have there's like a the avenue cafe this place that i go to all the time i like placed an order on one of the week i think it was the second weekend and he was like are you the delaney on the podcast i hear you on the radio i was like yes (laughs) yes i am excellent this is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, the crew of Choctaw throws plastic tomahawks and feathered headdresses, while their membership has no Indigenous members, representing a harmful portrayal of culture to those of Choctaw heritage who continue to protest and call for change. Gun arrests spiked during Mardi Gras, and nearly all those arrested last year were black, prompting concerns from some critics that the police are engaging in racial profiling. And for the first time, there was a visible and organized push to keep as much of the Mardi Gras trash out of the landfill and get it into the hands of recyclers, thanks to several nonprofit organizations and the city of New Orleans. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, photojournalist LaChance Perry. Hey, LaChance. Hi, Carolyn. Criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle. Hey, Nick. Hey, Carolyn. Environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus. Hey, Delaney. Hello. And Lens editor Katie Rechtal. Hi, Katie. Hey, how are you doing? Great. LaChance, we're going to start with the crew of Choctaw. And um, all around the country, there have been calls for changes in mascots and team names professionally all the way down to high schools and whatnot, but the crew of Choctaw continues to roll. Can you tell us the history of this crew? So the crew of Choctaw has been around for more than 60 years. They first started to roll in the 1930s. um, And of course, they're throwing what they're known for is replicating Native American culture, which is very, very harmful for many different reasons that we'll get into. But for a long time through the history of this crew, essentially, they haven't had any of its members or um, any connections to um, Native American culture and a lot of indigenous people take offense to the way they portray the culture of indigenous people, um, not only here in New Orleans, but essentially all over the country. So the crew of Choctaw has been rolling for a very long time and it's always posed some issues, but over the last few years, especially there have been thrust into the spotlight with, like you said, the, um, the the call for change with using someone's culture and heritage as um, almost as a performative act. Mm, right. Um, can you speak to or tell us more about how the Choctaw were in Louisiana and, and in this region and what their culture represented? Wow. So the Choctaw people um, have been in the in this recent region for more than 300 years, um, uh, predominantly in the Mississippi and Alabama areas. But they ended up migrating from those spaces here to Louisiana after um, essentially there was some tensions while staying in Mississippi and Alabama. They um, there was a little bit of tension between Native American people who uh, pretty much sided with European culture and those who sided with French culture. So the indigenous people who didn't want to pick, they essentially left 
Alabama, Mississippi areas and came to Louisiana to start their own tribes and that's where, or to nourish their tribes. And that's where Choctaw was able to bloom, grow, develop and blossom into different tribes in itself. So they migrated around 1850 down here um, to to LaSalle Parish that was like the area predominantly what they're known for and then um, the tribe that's most recognized is the Jenna Band of the Choctaw tribe and they are the ones that's predominantly here in Louisiana. Okay and then in the 30s someone came up with the idea to to have a crew of Choctaw and explain to us that the Choctaw tribe, as, as far as I understand it from the article, they didn't bedeck themselves in headdresses and use tomahawks and all these other really, really stereotypical um, racist emblems of, of, of indigenous culture. Yeah, you're exactly right. So when I was able to talk to Sierra Lagarde, who is of the native Choctaw tribe here in Louisiana, she essentially was just saying that a lot of the things that we see with the crew of Choctaw that celebrates Mardi Gras here in Louisiana is uh, resembling of these Hollywood portrayals of indigenous people. And with that, there's no real separation amongst the tribes because we know that all tribes have different cultural practices, all ways that they celebrate themselves or their culture and their heritage. But when you look at things such as the crew of Choctaw, who just shows you headdresses and, you know, buckskins, which isn't what they would typically wear, it just kind of takes away the identity of each tribe and makes it something that's just so general. And it really dilutes the history and the culture. I don't want to assume, but uh, I suppose that there was not, I mean, I don't even know if you can speak to this, but early on, would there have been any effort made by the presumably white folks who started up the crew of Choctaw to check in with or recruit indigenous people into the crew and or invite them to help um, with the depictions of, of their culture? Um, so what we do know is at, there at least was one attempt in the um, 80s, about 40 years ago, during the time that um, John Hindle was the president of the crew of Choctaw. He did take the, at the time, the reigning chief and princess, which is what they refer to the king and queen of their crew, um, to a Indian reserve in, or a Native American reserve in Mississippi to meet the uh, chief, Philip Martin, who at that time, they did continue to maintain a relationship up into uh, Philip Martin's death. And so every year he was invited back to participate with the crew. He was invited that year to speak on behalf of, or at the cruise ball, which he gave, um, from what I read, a beautiful speech about the trials and tribulations that Native Americans do face and that they go through. They maintained a relationship, but after that, there doesn't seem to be any attempts. Um, and we did try to reach out to the president of the crew of Choctaw, who wasn't really open to diving deep or providing any of that information. But I, um, I, I would have hoped that we've seen something past that. But other than 
um, John Hindle reaching out to Chief Philip Martin. That's the only thing that we've seen in the crew's history that reflects that they've tried to make any attempts at building a connection with the Native American community. Tell us about what um, pushback they're getting now, or I guess what pushback they were getting, and has it has it grown, and what the uh, what the effects are of that. So um, last year in 2023, the Levancha intertribal uh, community proposed a seven point amendment to the existing Mardi Gras parade ordinance to pretty much reform the way crews present themselves. Um, A few of the main goals of this proposal is to pretty much end any insinuation of a crew's affiliation with um, anybody's cult or any group's culture or identity or heritage. And they also um, wanted to pretty much propose a 15-member diversity, equity, and inclusion committee that will have the power to permit or revoke crew's ability to access the permits to roll based off if the crew's identities doesn't represent 50% or more of what the um, nationality or culture that they're representing. So it was um, it was a lot of different points to it, but the main points was to pretty much end in reg- have a more strict regulation on how crews present themselves culturally, especially when it's um, in affiliation with a heritage or a group of people. So this is an idea that has has been proposed and it's still floating. And, and J.P. Burrell has been working close with the Intertribal mm-hmm. Council to, um, you know, come and re- talk about the possibility to reform this um, ordinance. Uh, April is what we heard possibly that they could revisit the topic and the subject of really what to do with this amendment. But other than that, it's just floating around and it has been proposed. Katie, I'm going to ask you to um, think about if, if this idea were to become enacted or even a law or, you know, Mardi Gras rules for getting permits to to roll. Are there any other crews that this would affect, do you think? If you are an outsider looking in from outer space, you might think that Zulu might might apply to this rule. But Zulu, I I don't know if you remember, like, I guess it was maybe 10 years ago that there was a lot of talk about Zulu dropping the blackface and Mm. the idea, the difference here is that Zulu, the crew is primarily African-American and the people who allegedly would be offended by that would be African-American. So that there are, clauses in this to to make that clear that if you had like if Choctaw had um a predominantly indigenous crew this would be less of an issue that this would be for them to decide right i'm gonna ask kind of how, how you see this in relationship to to black mardi gras indian culture i mean because that seems like just you know to some degree like you said from an outsider looking in maybe like having some similar issues but um i know there's a a, you know a lot a different history there but i know you've reported on that a lot yeah i mean the difference um 
I would be really stern about the difference here. And that is that, um, for one thing, a lot of those guys and, and women who mask have indigenous, um, heritage that, that their grandfathers or their grandmothers, um, were indigenous. And plus they, there's a whole different um, spirituality that goes along with this, right? With the with the black masking Indian, aka Mardi Gras Indian tradition. Um, I know that sometimes somebody who doesn't understand it thinks, like especially somebody who's indigenous from elsewhere, might come to town and be offended to see a, a black masking Indian here. But then I've heard those discussions before, and I've and I've heard about people talking about there are a lot of chiefs and queens who have relationships with indigenous tribes across the United States and go spend a week up in Montana with Plains Indians or like there, there's a lot of um, back and forth with with tribes, and I feel like. Um, that 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 point is kind of settled once you start to even look into it even slightly. Back to the crew of Choctaw and and the are there active protests going on that you saw Lachance? So this year there weren't any active protesting that we witnessed on the ground. I know that last year um, I had a, well I know that last year one of the people that I had the chance to talk to who asked to remain anonymous, um, essentially she went out there and she protested, but she was by herself. She made a bunch of signs and she went out there and protested by herself. But as far as like getting together as a big group in a big movement to protest, um, there hasn't been any organizing as far as that, but there has been individuals who themselves went out there and they protested. And we would be remiss if we didn't give the opportunity to the leadership at the crew of Choctaw to explain what they, their position about all of it. What do they say? Um, so when we talked to the president, he really wanted it to keep it very short, um, very concise. He said that we're a, a fun family organization and that was it. Fair enough. Um, one of the other things that I want to make very clear is that I thought it was very interesting that um, there just seems to be a lack of understanding and knowledge all around. I think that was the most interesting thing to me when we were actually attending the parade is that you know, if you don't have a true knowledge of this or of any of the culture, of the history, of even the crew itself, it's very easy to just get lost in the spirit, in the fun of Mardi Gras. But I think that that's where education becomes very important and being aware of the different communities around you because you truly never know who's being affected by what, by simply things, simple things as having fun and experiencing Mardi Gras. So I think that 
educating yourself and um, definitely having compassion for the next person goes a long way in situations like this because everybody has a culture, everybody has a heritage that they come from, and that's what makes us who we are. So I understand wanting to protect that. The chance when you and I were out there on that rainy day and catching stuff from those Choctaw floats, there were a lot of people around us really enjoying themselves. And it just struck both of us that Mardi Gras is really, you never really know what's meant to be offensive or what is inadvertently offensive. Mardi Gras has like a lot of stuff that you could just take the wrong way. So it was, we really were talking about that on the way back to the car, right? Chance, like, it's just um, hard to, sometimes to say, wait a minute, this is wrong. This mm. this crosses the line, but that doesn't. It's difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. And Especially the line... In a, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the lines move. The lines... Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what I was just going to say, especially when there's just a mix of different things. You also have to think about the way parades roll. You know, they roll back to back to back to back to back. So it's like, if they're all doing the same thing, essentially, with you having floats and then you get stuff thrown off, the actual imagery that's associated with these floats, I think, are less scrutinized when you think about it in mm. that sense of this is just a season. This is just a format of the rollout. It, the content that you're actually consuming it isn't truly questioned the way it should be. Lashance, thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are photojournalist LaChance Perry, criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel, environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus, and managing editor Katie Rechtal. Hi, I'm Marta Jusen, education reporter at The Lens. The Lens has been a vital part of the news landscape, not just here in New Orleans, but nationally as a model for what we do, what we don't do, and perhaps most importantly, what we value. As news organizations shrink and become more and more polarized and entrenched in their camps, we know how important it is to provide ethical, honest, and professional journalism to help you make sense of the news. Please help us continue to provide you with the news that matters to you. Make an online donation today at thelensnola.org. Thank you. Nick. There's always an enhanced police presence in the city during Mardi Gras. As a result, gun arrests go up. However, there's some troubling demographics here associated with those numbers. What Tell us about last year's numbers of the arrests. Yeah, last year, I mean, on Mardi Gras Day last year, there were 40 gun arrests and most of them on Bourbon Street, most of them um, misdemeanor offenses for concealing a, a handgun without a concealed carry permit. Um, and all 40 of the people who were arrested were black. And that trend, you know, not 100%, but upwards of 90, 95%, you can kind of see throughout the year and, and you know, the gun arrests go up during during Mardi Gras in that week, but um, the kind of demographic breakdowns stay pretty similar. And so, yeah, the, it, that has raised some concerns. And, you know, the... NOPD and, and other um, law enforcement that are that are in the city have kind of started leaning on this proactive gun enforcement. Um, so the demographics are an issue, but also kind of the um, reasonableness of these stops and whether or not they have a reasonable suspicion to, to kind of check for guns in the first place. Uh, what are the laws regarding 
carrying of weapons in Louisiana? So you can open carry a, a legally obtained weapon, you know, out, out like in a holster outside. In most places, there's some limitations on it. You can't bring it into like a bar. Um, school zones are, are prohibited. But in general, they are are legal. And we should say if we're talking about Mardi Gras parade routes, um, there's a municipal law that that bans them from demonstrations, which has been used um, to ban them from, from parade routes as well. Um, but it is illegal to carry a concealed weapon unless you have a concealed carry permit for now. Um, there's a bill moving through the legislature right now that that would um, change that and make it legal to to you know conceal carry for anyone. Um, but as of now, that is is the law. Is you need a permit if you're going to conceal a weapon. We don't know the numbers yet for this year. However, we do actually. I, I pulled them up. Um, oh, okay. What are but, the numbers for this you know, year? So, so over the weekend as a whole, there were 109 firearm arrests and 93% black men, 3% black women. On Mardi Gras day, there were 31 gun arrests and 29 of them were, were black men. Um, so basically, you know, this, you know, continuing the same, same trend and the 31 arrests last year, there were 40, but the 40 arrests, gun arrests in a single day was the most on record. Um, so 31 is not quite there, but, you know, still far beyond kind of what has historically been um, uh, made on any given day. Mm -hmm. This Mardi Gras season, I had my own experience that honestly reflects the numbers that Nick is um, showing, because as my friends and I are on Bourbon Street, some of my friends wanted to go inside of a pizza place. Myself and another friend chose not to. So we stood outside of the pizza place waiting, you know, um, for them to come out. And as we are standing there talking to each other, you know, the Louisiana State Police, he comes up to us. He questions why we out here, what we're doing, where we're from. And he tells me and my friend that they're out there because they're looking for um, guns and violent criminals. Hmm. How did that apply to me and my friend? I don't know, um, but I can suspect because while we were waiting outside that pizza place, there was a group of black gentlemen behind us who we don't know, had no affiliation with, but just because we were standing close in proximity to them, I don't know if we looked suspicious. I don't know what it was about us that essentially we were targeted. They searched our stuff and, you know, they went on about, they said that comment about how they're looking for um, guns and violent criminals. And then they went on about their day. And for me, it was just, it was honestly traumatizing because I don't know what it was about us, my friend and I, I mean, I'm, I'm 5'2". I weigh a hundred and something pounds. I've never been arrested. I've never been to jail. I don't own any type of weapon in no way, shape, or form. But the fact that just me standing there was enough for him to come up and search us and to also then put that disclaimer that you know why we out here, right? We're looking for violent criminals and guns, which I am not a violent criminal, nor did I have a weapon. We're just standing there and there's no real rhythm, reason or rhyme other than you look guilty. Let me search you. I'm so sorry for that experience, Lachance. It must have felt dehumanizing. 
very much so. Mm-hmm. It was very, it was a very traumatic experience for sure. And it definitely just put a damper on the spirit of Mardi Gras. And then, like I said, after that, I just couldn't help but to notice how every time we're walking through a crowd, I'm seeing the person after person being arrested. It's a black man. And I can't, and I, of course, I don't want to tell the officers how to do their job. But if I'm standing there and they're standing there as well, what is, and, and it's no different from the people that's all standing here on their street. What's the difference? So, mm-hmm. you know, um, Nick, talk about the the young man that you spoke with who actually had been arrested. I thought that was really interesting because they suppose they used the probable cause by having a um, a a, lump, a bulge in a pocket, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and kind of maybe in a similar circumstance to to the chance he said he was yeah in the in the quarter getting pizza this was halloween so another big day in the quarter not not mardi gras but um and what he said was that police came and said they had noticed the bulge and searched him and actually the what they saw in his front pocket was was not a gun it was um you know he said i think his girlfriend's makeup and some other things he just had a bunch of stuff in his pocket and he said that the police initially, he, he did have a gun on him, but the police didn't initially find it. And then as they were searching him, he told them, you know, I have a, I have a gun tucked back, tucked in my waistband. Um, and, you know, it was it was his own gun. Um, and he said, you know, he was he was carrying it for protection. He had been shot previously. Um, and he had even, you know, thought about going to get a concealed carry permit, but but they're expensive, you know, they're upwards of a hundred bucks and, and just hadn't you know, gone through that process yet. Um, so I think it was, you know, frustrating for him. I think he felt like he was un- unfairly targeted initially and then kind of caught up on a technicality where, you know, you can, sure, it's legal to carry a gun. This happened to be tucked in his waistband instead of in a, in a holster. And, you know, I think I think that sort of both the financial um, obstacles to getting the concealed carry permit and then in addition to kind of feeling like you've you've been unfairly targeted in the first place was was frustrating for him um and you know i i talked to to a police association attorney for this story and he was basically you know i think there is there's a high tension and a high pressure on law enforcement especially during these busy times in the season to make sure that that nothing goes wrong and there's a national spotlight yeah um but you know the question is how does does law enforcement appropriately respond to that? And is it stopping every black person you see? Um, and, and what are the you know repercussions of that? You know, and and as we can kind of hear from the chance historian and you know from the other people I spoke to. So, with the backdrop that legislation now making its way through uh, up in Baton Rouge to to loosen gun laws, it's it's fascinating to see what. Uh, what next year's Mardi Gras might look like. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, it looks like that that this will pass. And Jeff Landry, you know, has said that he will will sign a um, permitless concealed carry bill. But it has, you know, the opposition to to law from law enforcement, the police association here, as opposed to the bill. And I think, you know, partly you can see why they're using this, of course. this concealed carry permit as um a way of stopping people if they want to stop them and to search them if they want to search them so it will definitely be interesting Mm. you know to see how kind of proactive gun enforcement whether or not it can continue 
um, if there's a, a permanent concealed carry law on the books. All right, Nick, thank you. Thank you. Delaney, our third Mardi Gras story of the year, along with all that fun and games and festivity and throws, there is a lot of trash. Let's start with uh, how much trash, roughly, is generated each year during Mardi Gras yes. season. So last year, uh, 2023, the carnival season produced 2.5 million pounds of waste that were brought to a landfill in just 11 days. Um, a quarter of that waste was found to be plastic beads. We don't have that breakdown yet for this year. Um, but something that I found interesting um, having newly arrived in this city was that up until 2003, the city actually used waste as a metric of success for Mardi Gras. They, wow. would, talk, they would make an announcement at the end of the carnival season saying, oh my God, we collected this much waste. That means we had this much, this many people here, this much economic impact. And they, they stopped that practice in 2003 and in 2023, came out with this recycled dat initiative to start counting how much waste was diverted from landfills and instead taken to recycling facilities instead. Okay, so prior to 2023, there was no real recycling effort made or any sort of effort to, to keep 2.5 million pounds, I think you said, uh, from landfills? There were a few nonprofits. Uh, the grounds crew, for example, was founded in 2018, and they had one uh, stand at the Napoleon Avenue intersection with St. Charles Ave to collect whatever whatever plastics or cans they could get in that area. But that you know, people are not going to walk all the way from the French Quarter to that one intersection to recycle their cans. And one of the things I found really interesting was that there had never just been a recycling can available, like an unmonitored can in the way that there are trash cans that you can put your trash into. There, this was the first year that they had a recycled bin for aluminum cans. And it just kind of blew my mind that that hadn't been implemented already. Yeah. So in 2023, the... Who, the I keep saying who dat recycle dat yes started up for yes, the 23 okay for the 23 Mardi Gras season yes for the 2023 carnival season 20 years after the city stopped counting um one of the, the metrics of success as trash <laughs> collection they announced that they were going to start counting recycling numbers instead all right so how successful has that been um, it's been pretty successful. This is the second year of the program, um, and they they tripled most of the collection numbers. They they more than tripled their collection of aluminum cans, going from collecting 1,475 pounds to 4,564 pounds. That's more than 150,000 aluminum cans. Hmm. Um, they almost tripled the amount of glass that they collected, um, from 1,500 to 4,288 pounds, uh, which is also interesting because glass is not technically allowed on the parade route, but the city understands that glass ends up in all of that waste. So they still are counting the collection of that material 
They also collected Mardi Gras throws as well as plastic beads. Um, and they collected slightly more than they collected last year. Last year, they collected 11,535 pounds. And this year, they collected 12,729 pounds. What happens to the beads? It's a good question. Um, it really depends on how the beads are collected. Once the beads hit the street, they cannot be reused. So some beads that are caught and given to the Recycled Dat initiative are brought to um, a program that can sort them and can give them back to crews to be reused in the following year. But they are very easily damaged, um, very easily broken. And if they hit the ground, nobody wants to reuse them. And those uh, recycled, those beads themselves are coming from recycled plastic that already has a certain number of toxins in it. It's coming from plastic. Usually that um, is coming from e-waste and that was used to house computers and, and mm. phones and other items that require the plastic to have flame retardants added to them. Um, so all of these plastic beads that crews buy up from China has these chemicals that you don't necessarily want your kids touching or putting in their mouths. The Louisiana Department of Health has even said that parents should bring hand wipes to the parades, that they should promptly change kids' clothing after the parades to avoid contamination from the dirt along the route. There's lead in these um, downcycled Mardi Gras beads, and that is ending up sometimes in the dirt along the parade routes as well. Wow. You just think of what a, what little kids do with things when they get them and how often things go in their mouths. Just, oof. That's a tried and true tradition you have. You, the beads around your neck as a mom or a dad, and the kid that you're carrying is like usually got their mouth on those beads sucking on them. Like that's that's a classic New Orleans thing. I don't even, I had never, ever heard half of the things in your story. I'd never heard that Mardi Gras beads are made from e-waste. I, I just had this picture of like this big factory melting down cubes of plastic, making beads. Nothing about this like toxic mm. stuff in the be the beads. It's crazy. The story has a lot of stuff I had no idea about. What prompted this change and, and who all's behind it? Well, I think that um, a number of community organizations really prompted this change. The Recycle That initiative uh, came from the city in partnership with New Orleans and Company, um, which used to be a tourism bureau, still is um, focused on tourism to the city. And so there were a number of nonprofits that hosted recycling hubs along the uptown parade route, only really along the St. Charles Avenue stretch of the parade route. Those were Real Cycle, Grounds Crew, the Green Project, Glass Half Full, Osprey Initiative, and NOLA Cans for Food. Multiple facets of this, the Mardi Gras throws, the beads, the cultural representations, the guns, everything. It's all... Uh, complicated and beautiful at the same time all right y'all as someone who's in the city this year it was just so lovely to see everything but i also you know i got to see 
that waste and I got to see some of the appropriation um, and other issues. And it, I, I just wish that we could do a better job regulating all of it. You know, I was going to say this is a, a premier, Nick, I believe this is a, a premier lens carnival edition. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as far as I've, as long as I've been here, and I think before before I got here, yeah, I don't think we've ever quite had Mardi Gras coverage like this, so. Yeah. That's so good. Really, really good. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks Okay. Bye. Bye. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, photojournalist LaShance Perry criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel, environmental reporter Delaney Dreyfus, and Lens editor Katie Rechtal. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>